You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. All right, guys, Saturday, April 11th, we're back. Look, you got to give the people what they want. It's Saturday and everybody, we have a captive audience. The ratings for the Beltway Briefing have never been higher. This has been good for Beltway Briefing business. Even our esteemed leader, Michael Heller, listens to the Beltway Briefing. So, I mean, come on. That's because everyone's captive and they're tired of watching reruns, Howard. Shout out for Michael, though. uh, Guys, here we are. It's mid-April-ish. 1.7 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 around the world, 500,000 of them in the United States, 161,000 in Spain. That's the next closest country. 21 U.S. nursing homes have been hit, 103,000 deaths worldwide, 18,000 of them in the United States tied with Italy. I found out yesterday One of our clients has lost 28 employees to this dreaded virus. How? Why? Like, why is the richest country on the face of the earth the most affected country on the face of the earth? And what what does it mean? I mean, it just just doesn't make any sense. Mark? Failure of leadership. The leadership from the top the Oval Office on down, has failed to confront this in a timely and uh, effective way as some other countries have. We did much too little, much too late. And that is the Oval Office on on down. The buck stops on the Resolute Desk, uh, as Harry Truman said. And we have a president who does nothing but pass the buck. And you have to, in this country, hold the president responsible for keeping the people safe. That's the primary priority. And he has failed. And not alone, not alone, Jim. And it took years for some of these mistakes to get made. But at the end of the day, it is a failure of leadership that has put us behind the rest of the world. Jim. So back in 2005, Mark, or it might have been even, it might even been earlier than that, bird flu time, during the George W. Bush administration, the Health and Human Services Secretary there got made fun of for talking about pandemics, talking about preparing for pandemics. Jay Leno made fun of him on The Tonight Show when he was talking about the bird flu. This is a problem that started a long time ago. No one saw this, or most leaders, Democrats, Republicans alike, didn't see this coming, didn't feel the need to prepare for it. And quite frankly, I think it's unfair. It's, it's, I mean, it's you going partisan right away, Mark, like you always do. But I think it's unfair to say that this is failed leadership. When, when President Trump you know, shut down the borders to China, Everyone Why did said they shut down the borders shouldn't Europe. be doing. The Democrats because went crazy. That's where a lot of this right? came from. And Jim. then when he shut down the borders to Europe, 
and and when they, when he shut down the borders to Europe, there was similar outcry at that point. But then everybody started getting a little fearful then. And, and, and so then it was becoming accepted. But the moment he did it, the partisan nature of the commentary, the moment he shut down the borders to China, where this originated, where this originated, there was public outcry from the Democratic Party. There has been a failure in leadership, Mark, across the board since the yeah. early 2000s it's on not- this issue. And I think it's co- entirely unfair to say that the president of the United States in this instance, in a country where people move about, where in a country where governors and mayors have to tell, Tim, have to shut Tim, down basketball he, courts in the cities so kids he, don't show up there. In a, in a country where we, where we, where we, where we love to move around and exercise our freedoms, to compare us to that, should to we, China and other countries that were able to contain Jim, it because they just shut everybody in because they sooner. can? Simple question. It's crazy. Should we as a country have done more sooner to prepare for and fight this invasion? Yes or no? Well, I, th- I, I would submit if the president closed the borders to China in January, there you, would have been even more that public wasn't my question. in early Should, January. So, so no, we don't did, live in a country Trump where the, under, where the Trump president underestimate the severity of the crisis. I think every leader in this country across the board, including the mayor of New York, uh, the governor of New York, Who's been lauded and rightfully so for his for for the way he's he's conducted himself on TV have underestimated this virus, no question about it. And even if the president had given directives, Jim, obviously he underestimated this. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He underestimated it. You can listen to the audio tape and the video tape. I mean, he underestimated it. But you can listen to the audio tape and the videotape of every public official, mayors, yeah, governors but, alike. But only, but there's only, there's one, only president. one president. There's only one president. Uh, okay. Okay. But the whole country looked at this, all of us included. No yeah. one was really worried. You were Not still getting true. on airplanes. Not true. Right? Your friend, Peter Navarro, uh, with whom I have my differences otherwise, in January sent not one but two memos to the president warning of this possibility. It is simply not factually true that no one saw it coming. Right, but no now, one maybe thought, no, a lot, I don't think that, I, I, don't, I didn't say maybe no one saw it coming. Maybe a lot, Mark. well, you did say that. I, I said no one, no one knew the grab, no one knew at that point in time what needed. The first thing he did was shut down the borders and people thought that was draconian, okay? And that was draconian. Well, now, Jim, when you're on mayor leadership, when everybody leadership in, requires you to step up and make the deci- unpopular and he decisions, did, he did step up and did make unpopular decisions. And it took, I mean, think about how many times governors across the country have had to make, had to, had to move to goal, the goalposts. The bottom as line it relates is to where, where the richest how this country works. on the face of the earth is the most infected country on the face of the earth. It's we didn't see it coming. The most free country on the face and of the earth. And that's a factor. It's multifactorial. But at the end of the day, the president's primary responsibility is to keep the American people safe. We are not safe. 
And the fact that the president and you and his supporters will not accept any responsibility, any responsibility at all for the failure of testing, for the failure of earlier social distancing, for the failure of preparation up and and down the line is a failure of leadership. A leader has to step up and has to take responsibility and has to put us in a safer place. And that that simply hasn't happened. So it, it's not alone. Trump didn't create the virus. Trump didn't alone create the lack of preparation. But but why can't any responsibility be accepted by this White In House? the end, Mark, this president is going to be judged how they, once it was here and once it was growing and how we've worked through it is going to the American people is going to be as important as how we got here. We I don't could think go, so. We could go back. I think it's going to be judged we on could the go number back of to, I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And I, and I think part of that is, you know, part of that is folks fo- actually following the advice that's been given to them, right? And and we're seeing more and more of that now. Now you're seeing people actually wearing masks out and about, local ordinances being passed that folks need to wear masks as they go into grocery stores. You're seeing that more and more and more, and that's going to help the situation, according what, to what, the, the, the experts. What, but, what he's not responsible for is the clearly poor quality of our healthcare infrastructure. I mean, he's partially responsible for that, but that's not a three-year phenomenon that is clearly, we've been setting ourselves up for this for a long time. Right. And don't have- I mean, at the end of the day, that Howard, you nailed it on the head. We've been setting ourselves up for this for a long time, not in the last four years. We've been setting ourselves up for a long, long time on this. But- if there's still, we didn't do enough soon enough to stop it. And we're paying the price. We're literally paying the price. I mean, look at <laughs> the size of the bailout so far. We are literally paying the price. And I think, Jim, I mean, just to get political for a minute, like, I'm sorry, but like when when we catch our breath, when we come out of this, when we can breathe again, you know, we're at 18,000 U.S. U.S. deaths and climbing. He is going to be judged based on the number of cases. He loves statistics, and the statistics are going to be thrown back in his face, and it's going to have implications. I think he's largely going to be judged on what the economy looks like and the outlook of the economy going forward. I know that's what you hope for. No, I I don't think I am just hoping for that, Howard. I think that's that's at the end of the day, the number one thing on people's minds, right? What they what they seek to do the most when this when this whole thing's over is no, no, no. Let's go out what, to eat. That's what Paul. What they seek, us. what the American people seek to do the most today is stay alive. This is a public health crisis. It is not an economic well, polling crisis. Polling would disagree with you, Mark. There's, and there was recent polling said the, the the thing people want to do the most when they get back to their lives being normal again. Let's go well, out to right. eat. No, sure. Right. That right, right, because that presumes they survived. This is a matter of literal life and death for the American people. And the president is going to be judged, I believe, in November 
on how he handled the crisis. The economic consequences, to be sure, are an element of that judgment, but nothing that this man did before this crisis is going to matter, I don't think, in November. It's all going to be about how this crisis is judged and how the other side of the story is framed. Now, just as a political matter, Howard, since you introduced it for a moment, uh, I would like to see our side of the story, our party and leaders telling the other side of the story in a more public and more forceful way, but that will come in time. In the middle of this crisis, at the apex here, I think all that polling that that you like to refer to about a bump up in popularity is just patriotism. Yeah, you're, what you're going to have at the end of that is the same old shift show that went on the last time during the last round of investigations. He's chomping at the bit to do it. He's chomping at the bit to demagogue this issue, and that's what he's going to do. And you know what? Wait, wait. He Maybe the, the third or fourth there, time right? is a charm here when he Adam the- Schiff goes in and conducts his investigations. I don't think so because he didn't have credibility in the first one, and he's not going to have credibility on the last one. Oh, I see. So Trump couldn't handle this in a safe and responsible way because of Adam Schiff. That's actually no, I, what the I president. Think, I think Adam Schiff is going to demagogue this issue in such a way that the American people are going to see right through it. When the Ameri- you know, they're going to see what this administration did in working through this issue, providing economic support. You know, where the Democrats. You know, all they want to do, you know, you got to look at what the Democrats want. This is a free for all for Democrats to spend money on things that they want to spend money on. It's interesting. It does does kind of show the relative silliness of the last couple of years. I mean, right. It kind of it takes that all that stuff off the table, too. That's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, they spend. Yeah. The Mueller investigation is gone. The ancient history. It might as like you gone. said last week, it might as well be the Peloponnesian Wars. Right. Ancient history. It's all gone. There has never been anything like this. And and this is what Judgment Day will be about. But before we get there, we have to survive as a as a people and as an economy. So I'm gonna, if if I may, transition uh, to the economy, which Jim is hoping is all anybody cares about come November. Well, but how how are we going to get the economy to November, guys? We've had stimulus uh, or COVID, I should say, one, two, three. We think uh, and know that there's at least a four and maybe a five coming. But what what are we hearing? What are we learning uh, about the governmental response, Congress, the Fed, and and more? You guys, uh, I know, are talking to clients uh, and others all day, every day, literally all day, every day, I know, because I I am with you on some of those calls. What's going on out there, Howard? Well, this there was a massive Fed intervention announced this week, $2.3 trillion. What they do is they take the Fed is not supposed to take credit risk under its charter. So what the Fed does, and they did this in 0809, is they take treasury money under the CARES Act and they lever it up. 
and and they lend it and the treasury money is supposed to be the buffer between they're supposed to absorb that that's supposed to absorb the credit risk and so the fed has announced these massive programs for small and medium-sized businesses for states and municipalities that meet certain conditions um, and and beyond and infuse 2.3 trillion dollars into the economy that's on top of what the treasury is doing for airlines and what treasury and the SBA are doing for small businesses. You know, I think the administration's done and the Fed certainly has done a reasonably good job of this. It's it hasn't been perfect. There was a lot of noise, there continues to be around the small business programs and the rollout was clumsy. But guess what? When you put, you know, all told four plus trillion dollars out into the economy and you're injecting capital into small businesses and you're trying to get programs like this up and running, it's, it's messy. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's still only a Band-Aid. We're going to end up, I saw Janet Yellen, former Fed chair this week, uh, estimate 30% plus or minus unemployment. I mean, it, there's this depression level stuff. Fortunately, it, it's temporary. We will bounce back, but it's a massive, massive, massive intervention because we're in a terrible, terrible economic place. But, you know, I think it's they're doing a reasonable job of rolling out the aid. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think our uh, listeners are aware I'm not a big fan of this administration otherwise, but I agree, Jim, that the administration in rolling out the CARES Act has acted uh, very quickly and, and very competently in, in what is just an inevitably chaotic environment. So what, what are you hearing? You're talking to the White House and the administration daily, if not hourly. What, what is the attitude of people that, that you're talking to, Jim? How, how are they handling this? Look, there is a focus. There's the healthcare focus of this. And then there's you know the manufacturing portion of this. And something I think that's very important to come back to. I think what we're learning more and more is that, you know, over the years, outsourcing our manufacturing has really come back to bite us in this particular instance. We've need we need to bring some level of manufacturing, especially medical devices, especially things that are so essential to what to what our needs is in a or in a crisis like this. Um, and you're seeing Peter Navarro, you mentioned him. He has been at the tip of the spear in, you know, repurposing United States, you know, manufacturing facilities so that we can, you know, so that we can make more masks, for instance, and having United States companies that have manufacturing facilities overseas, even in China, repurposing those facilities to get more masks and get them in here and get more supplies and get them in here. So I think that's something that's been on the forefront is trying to make sure that we have what we need. At some point in time, we're going to have enough masks. We're going to be overrun with masks. At some point in time, we're going to be overrun with supplies. And that's a good thing. It would have been much better to have them earlier, but we didn't have the manufacturing capability here to do it. And I think that's what Peter and his team have been emphasizing since day one. And I think that's probably why those memos you mentioned 
were were what he you know when he drafted those memos way back when he was thinking about how prepared this country is going to be from a manufacturing perspective from a trade perspective because that's what he's focused on day in and day he was out. really thinking about his china agenda and using this to poke the chinese in the eye that's what he was really thinking about okay, Jim, but, but his china agenda is one that brings manufacturing right back no home. totally i mean that, that you know we could talk about his china agenda, but it turns yeah. out that peter got it right look one of the great um, outcome, not great in the good sense, but one of the notable outcomes of this is, is going to be borders. I said this last week, it's completely in sync with Trump's world MAGA worldview, you know, kind of a retrenchment inside our borders. This whole thing is about retrenchment inside our borders, and it's going to have lasting impact from that perspective. So, you know, Mark, I, I don't think it, it's going to be enough. That was my question. And, well, exactly. Yeah. And no, like we are absolutely going to have COVID part four that probably this week, more money. They already are going to appropriate more money and we're going to have definitely five and probably six. So take it a, a step at a time. Where is the money that we think gets appropriated soon this week, next week? Where's that money going guys? Mostly small business and hospitals. Into the existing paycheck protection program. Yeah, because $350 billion, which is what they put into small business, is just, it's just not enough. Everybody and their brother that qualifies is applying, and they need more money. They know that and already. Does Congress clean up some of the confusion about eligibility, or is this just uh, an appropriation? I think it's... They'll, of course, do a little bit of substantive work, but um, I think it's primarily an appropriation. And look, there were a lot of haves and have nots in this thing. As you know, we're involved in airlines, for example. There's all $50 billion reserved for airlines and, and, the, and the airline sector, and they got a special deal because guess what? They need one. And they pushed hard for it, and and it's it's well needed and deserved. Hotels got special um, treatment, restaurants got special treatment, but there are so many sectors that didn't. Private equity owned small businesses, businesses that would otherwise qualify as small businesses that happened to be owned by private equity. They got left out. So right, and I, doesn't what? that doesn't that create Howard? Though, let's talk about that. And I want to draw on your experience there. So I, I'm looking at that, and you're talking. You know, there are companies that are backed by that are backed by entities other than banks, right? And they do the same business that these entities that are backed by banks that borrow their money traditionally from banks. But they're all in the same business. Doesn't if if we're leaving those folks out, and those those companies that are backed by either private equity or some other form. Aren't we really cutting into competition there? Aren't isn't the government picking winners and losers? Doesn't that have to be fixed go, coming out of this virus so that one company isn't decidedly advantaged over another? Well, yeah, picking winners and losers is a huge aspect of this thing in general. Making sure that the government is fair and objective in the context of executing these programs. If they're not, it has implications on the way Congress set this up. Um, yeah, you're a thousand percent right, Jim. They're, you know, they're, they're disadvantaging 
certain parts of the economy and that's not good for this country in the long term and they they should be thinking look politics never comes out of it but ideally they'd be thinking about maintaining a level playing field from a number of different perspectives what about guys the uh, moral hazard uh, we've talked about that uh, a lot offline here but what about the uh, rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer as companies that do not need the money, that have not been hit uh, as hard or are even growing, but are nonetheless eligible? Are we, are we concerned about the moral hazard inherent in, in these programs, Howard? Well, there is a big moral hazard, but frankly, Mark, when you say that, I'm much more concerned about the socioeconomic piece of this, um, the haves and have-nots as far as the public health aspect of, of things. I know your question was about the economy, but well, there's, no. data, there's data coming out that you know African-American and minority communities are harder hit by this. Um, and And look, that's, it's certainly, if you listen to the statistics, that's real. I think it's more, you know, that it's one thing to have economic winners and losers. It's an altogether different thing to have socioeconomic winners and losers. And I think the implications of that are horrible and, and long and further reaching than the economic side of things. Well, we are, are seeing that, uh, Jim, in our work. Uh, in the healthcare sector, Jim and I are talking every day with people who are out on the front lines of the crisis, actually uh, providing the care. And it, there is a disparity. The zip code is destiny uh, was never more true than, than in this crisis, Jim. And, and I don't know that Congress is going to be able to fix that with COVID four. No, I don't, I don't think there's fixing that. I mean, that's, that's, decades of 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 problems that have kind of come to that point and we've seen it across the board and i agree the socioeconomic piece of this where you're you know you i live in the city of philadelphia and in the city and poorest one of the poorest cities in the country especially when you get outside of about a two mile square block area and you don't have to go any farther than our neighborhoods to see you know what's happening there and the drive to the hospitals like Temple University and Jefferson Hospital that, you know, the drive from folks that are the half knots that, that need that care. But hey, you know, Mark, uh, yes, I want to shift a little bit though. Yeah. Um, in the little time we have left, talk a little bit about the strain that this is putting on the state and local economies, Howard. And when I say that the state and local governments, so you know, we've been talking a lot about the strain that this is putting on businesses. It looks like the state of Pennsylvania is about $6 billion short on its budget. And that directly impacts the services that they can provide to the citizens of Pennsylvania. Same thing is going to happen with school districts and, and the tax base there as people aren't, aren't able to make property tax payments because of this virus. There's going to be a trickle down here that hits for a pretty long term in terms of the state, the state, um, you know, the fiscal stability of the state governments and the municipal governments and the le the loans and the bonds that they that they hold, you know, in order to, you know, in the, in the and the borrowing that they've had to do to keep themselves afloat. 
which then is going to hit Wall Street. You know, what are your thoughts on that, Howard, as someone who's kind of, you know, been in the thick of this as a Treasury official? Well, another issue you and I are in the middle of, Jim. Um, you know, I remember in 2008, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger trolling the halls, literally walking the halls of Treasury with his hand out looking for money for the state of California, and there was really none forthcoming. I think this time around, there is a recognition because guess what? With the economy shut down, there's less tax revenue for the states. I mean, there is a recognition that um, the federal government has to plug plug the gap to, to some degree. And we saw that this week with the Fed rolling out its state and local programs. But guys, at the end of the day, aren't we just robbing Peter to pay Paul? I mean, we're borrowing money. The federal government doesn't have these trillions of dollars lying around. We're borrowing more money. What I worry about in this whole thing is, is that bill coming due at the end of the day? Like, it's a joke. We, I mean, we just, we just issue more yeah. debt. At, and look, it's at very low interest rates. So, so that's a positive. Hopefully we stick a bunch of that to China since they started this whole damn thing and let, let's let them bail us out. But that's, you know, at the end of the day, I think sadly we get to a day of reckoning for, for the country where well, maybe we can't service our debt. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, um, it, it's, it's dangerous. It is dangerous and it is staggering, just staggering the escalation of the numbers. There was a fierce concern with the uh, Trump tax bill and borrowing a trillion dollars to redistribute that that we were mortgaging the future and our grandchildren were going to have to pay it back. That trillion dollars in the rearview mirror is a modest amount compared to the debt that is being accumulated now. And it's a very, I think, legitimate uh, concern you, you focus on, Howard. It, it is a danger, but what choice do we have? We, no, we, we have no choice. We have to survive uh, to get to the point where the de- where the bill comes due. And look, we'll come out of it um, at the at down the road. Like we'll get back to a steady state. But I got to tell you, like. You know, we, we've been involved in this municipality issue. We've been involved in hotels. We've been involved in airlines. We are involved in all of the above. We're, you know, we're representing private equity. We're, we're in all different facets of this, but there are so many industries and so many um, components of the economy that aren't being taken care of in this whole thing that are going to be decimated. I'll give you an example. Rental cars. There's no special treatment. You know, 95% of rental car business is at airports, airport right. concessionaires. There's no, there's no special treatment for any of those. They're just treated like any other business. So the federal government is doing what it can do to um, temporarily stop the bleeding where it can, but can't do everything. And there's, there's going to be a lot of fallout and it's going to take a long time. Well, it, it is a challenge, but let's leave it there. Let's leave it on a positive note, at least in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, the sun is shining. Beautiful day. And I want to wish all of our 
listeners a, a healthy weekend. A special shout out to my friend Liz Caymans, one of happy our Easter. most faithful listeners. Happy Passover, happy Easter. And we will try it again next week when maybe we have started to turn the corner on this. God willing. Let's hope. Let's hope. Good talking Thanks, to guys. you guys. Thanks to everyone. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.